welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. We have, I'm not allowed to call him doctor because he's not a doctor, but we have Craig Newton who's going to be preaching today for the very first time in his whole life. I don't want you more nervous than you have to be, but um, Craig, Craig runs our sound team. He's part of our young adults industry. He's helping with that. Uh, he's done a lot of stuff around here, and uh, there's a, there is a strong teaching gift on his life, and we felt like during this, we want to unpack as much of the scriptures as possible and uh, give an opportunity for him to bring the word this morning. So I wonder if we can make him feel super duper duper welcome as he comes to preach. Good morning, church. Uh, can I have the house lights up? I, there's a bunch of people in darkness, um, so I'd rather preach in the light. <clears throat> um, warm welcome to everybody. Um, that's down, like up. Um, thanks. <laughs> welcome, everybody, on this chilly, wet, rainy morning. Thank God for the rain, hey? Um, for those who don't know me, that's probably because I am in the shadows back there behind the audio desk 90% of the time. Um, I am... Craig Newton, Scott introduced. I have married for one year and nine days to this lovely lady down front. As Scott said, I help lead the uh, audio and lighting team here as well as help run Young Adults event and the Facebook page. Um, and I also run an in-depth Bible study every Wednesday, well, every second Wednesday um, for Young Adults, focusing on why we believe what we believe. Otherwise, that's all what I do in my spare time. I'm actually a head technician for an audiovisual and lighting company down in Bassendine, setting up shows and gigs, corporate events and anything in between. Shameless plug, if you would like some furniture or some marquees or some lighting, we are struggling a little at the moment in this season. Um, so feel free to hit me up after the service. Um, also, second shameless plug, if you would like to learn the audio desk or the lighting desk or any of that sort of stuff, hit me up as well. There are three people in Aaronbrook. I would like to make that in a six. Um, pray for the increase, in Jesus' name. So, with all that in mind, uh, I'm going to attempt to move slowly through everything because as you may have guessed, I'm a little bit of a nurse talker. Um, I tend to rush things, uh, mainly because I just want over and done with, and I really am going to try hard not to white-knuckle this microphone as I try and push through the content. Um, but something that you can do for me just before, if you agree with something, if you like what I'm saying, if you don't like what I'm saying even, um, yell at men or something like that. Just help encourage me. As Scott said, this is the first time I have pitched in my life ever. Um, even though I am 27, I've, I would be doing this sooner, but that's okay. Um, God dealt with my pride for the service. So, how about we all stand and read the word of God, hey? Galatians 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the day set by his father. Same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of Father, sorry, spirit of His Son, into our heart, crying, "Abba, Father!" So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. 
Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have put over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have come as you are. You'd me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you'd not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. I then become your enemy by telling you the truth. You make much... They make much of you, sorry, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for good purpose, not only when I am present with you, my little ch- child, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you, and that's where we will stop for today. So I want to refocus um, on Galatians four one through seven. Yes, you may my apologies. <laughs> At the end of chapter three, Paul opens up this idea to the church in Galatia uh, of being slaves under the law and heir through promise in Christ. Up to this point, he has proven his acceptance as an apostle, detailed his standoff with Sphis, explained how we are justified by faith and not works, described what the righteous live by, and finally tied all of those ideas together with explaining the law does not get rid of the initial promise that gave of inheritance, but enhances it, okay? So, moving into chapter 4, Paul starts to talk about this idea of adoption. Adoption in this context is not the same as you might think. Gone the days where somebody would go to an orphanage or a gym and carefully pick the child that has the most beautiful face or the most beautiful hair, or in other cases, might go for the one that's been there the longest or the one that has the ailment. Um, WA adoption is actually really different. Um, and I did some research on this. Uh, it's a huge, long process. It costs between $6,000 and $25,000. There is an age limit of 45 years between you and prospective adoptee, and you must meet all the requirements stipulated by the DCP. This process can take anywhere from four to seven years if you're adopting internationally, and only slightly shorter time if adopting legally. Gone are the days. As I said, in Western Australia, it is the adoptive parents that sit on a waiting list waiting to be chosen in most cases. It is not children that are waiting, it is the prospective parents. Excuse me. <clears throat> in Western Australia, um, you could sit on a waiting list for years. It could be approved by the ACC, AAC, sorry, which is uh, the governing govern body. And um, you could sit for five to six years, six to ten years, depending on how many home studies they want to do with you. In Western Australia, there are between five to eight adoptions of low children a year and only six to ten international adoptions a year. Once adoption has proceeded and the process has been followed, then the child will receive this name as the adoptive parents. Hopefully, they are loved as dearly as our natural children, and they become heirs of the parents' inheritance, as well as being clothed, fed, educated, and sheltered. Biblical adoption, however, is not just a child family being brought into and accepted by another. Biblical adoption is God adopting those who have been born again. 
Adoption implies in this context a change of nature as well as a change of relationship. Behind the New Testament use of adoption lies law and the customs associated with the practice. A Roman family, from the legal standpoint, consisted of a head or a ruler and the rest of the family object to his power. The lawful children of the head of the family were in power as well as those who were brought to his family by adoption. It might have been that there was no children born in a marriage or that his sons went to the grave before he did through war or sickness, but if this happened, the head of the family had two choices. Choice number one was to give himself to adoption, have his family, his wealth, his property, his entire lady absorbed by a family and come under the authority of somebody else. Or he could adopt one as a son to perpetuate his family line. In both of these adoption cases, he would still be a separate man. He would have his own family's facial features, his own family's nature, his own family's characteristics, his own family's culture. He would not be a filial or logical son of a new father. There is another part of Roman life that helps shed light on these verses for us called Tyrosinium Forum, which is a ceremony for the sons of the Roman Empire when they come of age, but we get to that a little later. God's condition is that when we become Christians, born again through the Spirit, very nature changes. God imparts His love, imparts His grace, His disposition upon us. He molds us and forms us to His image, sending the Holy Spirit as our guiding hand. We not only gain an eternal Heavenly Father, but we gain attributes that we may not have otherwise developed, like a heart for others who want to do good. Romans 12.2 mirrors this very concept. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, renewing renewal of your end, that by testing you may discern what is the good and what is good and acceptable and perfect. When we become a Christian, we are meant to just sit and uh, sit in the status, sit with the status quo of like, oh yeah, I've got my life over here, and yeah, Jesus, I'm going to add you to that. Oh yeah, I'm an adopted son. Yay, this is awesome. Yeah, no, um, Christianity is not a spectator sport, just in case you didn't know, um, to use an old youth group phrase. Um, we are to cast off all that is not of God and put on the new personage in Jesus. Amen? Wonderful. And be a little bit more lively if you would like. I feel like I've given a lot of information. My apologies. <laughs> what we need to understand is that God has not just made a political decision to adopt us because he needed an heir. FYI, he doesn't. He has Jesus. You are not Jesus. He does not need you. We're a human. Sorry. May sound harsh, but it's true. God has chosen to adopt us in his family and to redeem us from the promise of the law with his death. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> we cannot keep up with a demand of biblical law, not even on our best day. We see this in Romans 3.10, echoing Isaiah 4.4, as written, there is no one, not even one. And in Romans 23, it says, all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Paul is stressed to the Galatians so much because they've decided to take up the thing of the Judaizers, take up the law in salvation and adoption. They've so quick reverted to the childhood management of laws and rules to find salvation, not accepting that it is faith alone that we are saved. The reason this is so important for us today is that we so easily forget whose son and daughters we are. We so easily get drawn away from the fact that God's sons and daughters, sorry, my apologies, this is my place, 
This is the problem with writing every sentence down that you might want to talk about. But we so easily get drawn away from God because we forget that through tragedy or through the trappings of this world, He is our Father. Our hearts, it says in Jeremiah 17, are deceitful above all else and above cure. So what hope do we have when most of the world tells us to follow hearts? Whether we are trapped in secret sin or whether lazily going through this fin blase, the freedom and liberty we find in this doctrine is inexhaustible. I'll say that once more in case you catch it. The freedom we find in this doctrine is inexhaustible. You can be free as sons and daughters of the Father. Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law, so they may receive adoption as sons. Point number one, know who adopted you. God is more than just following through the orphanage of the world, using those who are pleasing to him. Through the Bible, we see example after example of who our God is. Here are just a few. Our God is the great I the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, rock whose work is perfect and always, all his ways are Our God never lies. He is not a man that we can just mind. God is our creator and the stainer of all creation, the king above all kings, the God above all gods, the immortal, indivisible, omniscient, omnipotent. He is the one who sent his son, our savior, so that we would no longer have to lay under the law which we could not keep. This God, God, your God, chooses to adopt us when we become Christians. How awesome is that? This eternal creator, the one who created the very ground that you stand on, has chosen to you. He's chosen to adopt you. He is perfect in his love. Our God is far more equipped than any father we ever hope to have or be on this earth. He is perfect, perfect in his righteousness, perfect in his just, perfect in his wrath, perfect in all attributes. He will correct us. He will feed us. He will protect us. He will give us peace, strength, help, forgiveness, power, the desires of our hearts when they conform to his. And he will vouch for us as his family. God is much more than this short list even. The verse that comes to mind for me is Psalm 8, 4-6. What is man that you are full of him and the son of man that you can him? Yet you made him a little lower than the head being crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion for the works of your hands. Put all things under feet. What an amazing honor it is to be received as sons and daughters of the king. Understand that we as God's children are now part of the royal line. Like Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel 9, who despite not being part of the Davidic family, was included in the royal inheritance. So we are also included in Christ's inheritance as co-heirs with him. Which brings us to point number two. Know what you have been adopted to. As I said before, this is not a spectator sport. You are not just adopted to sit and stay where you are. You are adopted to grow and move from there. In this world, as I pointed out earlier, adoption usually means that a child is taken into him to be clothed, educated, fed and watered, shipped from the elements and brought up by parents. This gives them a legal right to inheritance, but not inherently change their political standing, their features, their disposition towards the world just because they are. These things they will work at and figure out as they grow, but are not immediately affected by the act. They may gain brothers or sisters when they are adopted, but it is not 
inherently producing love in them for their new siblings. But when we come to God's adoption, we are brought into the most welcoming adoptive family we could hope for. The Father welcomes us with open arms. The Son has already saved us from our own sin while we were still enemies. A king and his son had an army, and yet when the enemy was sentenced to death, the king sent his son to take place and adopts that guy. It's not like we have on this world. As the Westminster Catechism says, adoption is an act of God's free grace, whereby we're received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the Son of God. Privileges are extensive, but I'm going to list a few just to have a little bit of an idea, if you don't already. We be fellow citizens with saints and members of the house of God, Ephesians 2, 9, meaning that we now have full political rights and protections of God's house rather than being strangers to him. This gives us power to stand against the principality of ours in this world because we are sons of the king. We're not strangers' kingdom. We're sons of the king and daughters of the king. We're delivered from full servitude, meaning we serve the Lord out of response to his adoption, not fear of what will happen if we don't obey. Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but received the spirit of action as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We become, as in relation to God, accept and become part of his promises. Romans 8, 18, that if children then as heirs of God and so heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him, in order that we may also be glorified with him. And Galatians 4, 7. So you are no longer a slave, son, and if a son, then an heir through God. We now have a duty of loyal obedience to God's commands, no longer striving for the false promises of the law, but fulfilling the law. We are transformed. Romans 8.29, for those whom he knew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of none. And Romans 5, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on things of the flesh, but they live according to the spirit, set their mind on the things of the spirit. Among other things, we also get joy, the gathering of the saint, the impartation of the spirit, forgiveness and redemption of our sins freedom from anxiety, the ability to pray directly to the Father through Jesus rather than going through an earthly priest who, in all honesty, might be wrong. We get to enjoy a personal relationship with our heavenly, holy, righteous Father. Which brings us to our third point today. I feel like I've not used up anywhere near the amount of time that Scott has given me, but that is okay. Our third point for today is not already up on the screen, grow up. Changing tack, last point at the moment I mentioned Tyrosinium free, which is a ceremony in which a senator's son or any son of Rome would shed the robe of a childhood and put on the robe of adulthood. Excuse me. Forget that I am meant to be wearing glasses because things are getting hard to see. <clears throat> and of course, they. This would signify the child's trip into public life or military service um, or the political forum. It signifies that son his, sorry, the son has hit the date set by his father, as Paul states in Galatians 4.2. He, he is ready to lead his adult life without constant management and tutors. For us Christians, when we convert, we go through a sort of tyrosinium that does not last a single day. These ceremonies were just like one eight-hour period where there was pomp and circumstance, and woo, yeah, he's, he's an adult now. No, for us, it can last a couple of years. We begin to shed our old cell, the robe of childhood under the law, in order to put on the toga of adulthood under Christ. 
For some, this is super quick. For others, it takes years. We begin to see God for who He is. We start to see His love for what it really is. We were living under law and its management, but now we get to live under God's rule instead, as sons and daughters to an ever-loving Father. My friends, this is a privilege. When we are adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High, we should think of this as a new start. We can and will face the earthly consequences for our sins, but we no longer have to live slaving toward a goal we can never achieve. Paul called to the Galatians in chapter 4, live as adult sons, not as childly slaves. As sons, we can stuff up, break stuff, hurt people, only to receive forgiveness from the Father as well as the worldly consequences for our actions. But as a slave, if we stuffed up, break stuff, hurt people, we would receive our due punishment. And that due punishment usually lead to death. This means that now we are living as sons and daughters. It makes no sense to have a works-based theology. We already have the inheritance. We already have the gifts from that. We already have access to the kingdom. So there is no need to work ourselves to the bone trying to earn it. And I encourage you, if you are doing that, come up the front prayer later. Honestly, like, it, it's horrid. Cannot pay our way into heaven with money, works, or words. We can only get there through Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Adoption into God means you must do good works because you are saved from death and hell. Colossians 3, 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. I would encourage that if you do not have the urge to good works or to love the unlovable or to love that uncle who annoys you or to love that dad who annoys you or whatever it might be, I would encourage you to ask God and pray to soften your heart. None of us could say that we were born to do good because we are all inherently broken. But we have been adopted and God has imparted to us his love. We can't not do anything. Don't look to earthly things to bring satisfaction in this life, but do good for the sake of doing good as though you were doing it for your Father in heaven. My friends, Galatians 4, 1 to 7 has eternal implications. We adopted into God's family as his sons and daughters are saved by Christ and his redemptive work on the cross from the eternal wrath of God. Our inheritance from this adoption is worth far more than the earthly possessions, any amount of money, any work that attempts to fill our souls. Our inheritance is eternal life with our Saviour, our Father and the Holy Spirit. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.